Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Biomast. We're on episode 235. Glad you could join us. We have a, a really small crew today. It's just Livy and I, but let's get started with introductions with Livy. Hello, it's Livy. I'm here with Biomast, co-producer with the usual crew and uh, usually do reporting with Project Nova and playing games and doing stuff. Yes. Good stuff. Yeah, we uh, unfortunately had to uh, change the recording time, so it was, wasn't as convenient for uh, Jay and uh, Bates. So it's just the two of us this uh, this episode, but it should be good. So we got some topics we're going to start off with here, starting with the Lion King movie. So this is – the, the gut reaction is to say a live-action Lion King movie, except it's obviously nothing but animals, so it's hard to really say it's live-action when it's all CGI. So uh, I'll say photorealistic rendition of the Lion King. And this is actually really exciting for me because the Lion King was like my movie when I was growing up. Like that was – it came out like right when I was the age when, you know, the Disney film would really appeal to me. So I – absolutely loved that film and to see this one kind of getting the photorealistic disney treatment is is very exciting for me did you see the trailer for this one living i did see it um and <laughs> it almost looks like you know, like one of those discovery channel montages that they put together it looked way too real i'm like i want to see it but i'm like what how are they going to do it are they going to talk I, yeah, I would assume that they'll do the, the typical. Oh, true. Yeah. They have voice actors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, what I was really impressed by is that the trailer is like literally a shot for shot recreation of the opening of the original animated film. Like, it's really, really close to what the, the original looked like. So it was like nostalgia waves going on. Um, it was it was really cool. I mean, it looks fantastic. Disney has gotten to like, you know, that next level CGI. And you can still tell it's CGI, but it's it's getting to that point where it's like, holy shit, this is really impressive. So I was I was really stoked to see this one. Um, and they got some really solid voice actors for this one. So they've got James Earl Jones doing Mufasa, of course. He did, you know, that character in the original film. Um, and I think, uh, let's see, Don, let me pull up real quick here. It had Beyonce, it had Key from Key and Peele, it had... Um john oliver yeah so john oliver is playing zazu the toucan which is like that's the joke and now it's real so it's it's fantastic and uh donald glover is playing uh simba i imagine that's adult simba since there's a a kid listed here for uh you know younger simba oh and seth rogan as pumbaa which is which is pretty solid as well it's gonna be amazing yeah yeah no no, I mean it looks it looks really solid. I'm I'm very excited to see this. The like I said, the trailer is really really good. It's got James Earl Jones narrating, kind of uh, an iconic line, we'll say from from the original film. And this is it's really solid. So I'm I'm looking forward to this. Definitely gonna go check this out in theaters. I haven't seen a lot of the other uh, live action adaptations, but like this one, like this is this is the one I'll go see. I'm very it looks very good. So moving along, I wanted to talk about a, a series of films, actually, that's been on Netflix, and, and I've been neglecting to see it, even though I have watched almost everything else this particular studio has done, but we finally sat down and watched uh, Godzilla Part 1 and 2 of 3 uh, by Polygon Pictures on Netflix. This is uh, my, Livy, myself, and my brother sat down and watched it this weekend. And it's, uh, so to kind of give a backstory, Polygon Pictures, they do anime but it is entirely cgi anime and it's not like 
if you've watched anime, usually when you hear CGI, you kind of groan about it because it's usually like normal 2D animation. Then they throw CGI in there, usually really poorly to do a scene that's too difficult to, to draw, or too expensive to draw. They've taken the approach of we're going to do the whole thing in CGI so it feels uniform. And I actually uh, passed off some of their their other works. Knights of Sidonia was was one on Netflix that I, I actually came to love as one of my favorite shows that I've seen on Netflix for anime. And I actually tried watching it twice before I finally watched it a third time because I, I got to like the first scene. I'm like, oh, it's CGI anime. I, I'm not interested. This is shitty. And I, I tried again. I'm like, no, no, I still can't get behind it. And so finally I forced myself to watch it the third time. And I realized actually how good of an art style it is for the types of stories they tell. They it would be very difficult to do a lot of what they do with traditional 2D animation. And the way they do it is very, very good. So Knights of Sidonia is really solid. Um, Ajin is also a really good series that they've done, as well as uh, the movie Blame, which is, is also very, very good. Um, so what they did is they got commissioned by Netflix to do Godzilla movies um, based off of, of course, you know, everyone knows Godzilla, right? But the the premise behind this is kind of interesting. So in usual Godzilla films, it's Godzilla attacks, we fight him off, we win, or, you know, Godzilla shows up and another monster shows up and they fight and, you know, something happens. Where this movie starts is what if Godzilla appeared on Earth and won? And humanity was basically forced to flee the planet in search of a new world because he, Godzilla was on there just basically ripping up everything. Like it was impossible to exist on Earth because he just destroyed everything. And so it takes place actually 20 years after the original departure from the Earth. That's kind of where the story starts. And it, it goes into, and I won't get into spoilers obviously, but it kind of goes into this idea of, well, we can't find a planet to live on. So what if we went back to the Earth and see if the situation has changed and has it improved? Can we somehow make it work? Is Godzilla even there anymore? Because, you know, faster than light travel in, in um, relativity, long story short, a much longer time than 20 years has passed by the time they actually get back to Earth. And so things are very different than they remember. Um, but I'm going to kind of ask Livy, Livy, what did you think overall of the premise, the, the execution? What did you think of the films? I think it was good. I think they tried to cram a lot. I mean, granted, I'll admit I kind of dozed off on part of the second one, but it felt like it was really, really fast paced, and it felt like a lot of the character development was flat because of that. Um, like they were really trying to just get all their ideas that they had that would have happened to Earth and over its transformation of Godzilla being there. It was just, uh, I don't know. I liked it. It was a, it was a good movie, but I, I wish that one probably could have been a little faster paced up to a certain point and then maybe chunked it off there and part of one could have been in two. And you know, you know what I mean? Just a little slower. Because they introduce a lot of concepts in a very short amount of time. Yeah, I think pacing was probably the biggest issue this film had because there's the in the very beginning they open up a plot thread and it goes for about five minutes and then they drop it and they never touch it again in the in the first movie they never touch it again in the second movie it feels like it was just kind of this like little side tangent they did that didn't really seem to serve a purpose um, other than maybe give some I guess backstory to why a particular character is the way he is. 
but it felt like they were trying to go a direction with it and it just nothing happened. And they kind of mentioned it again and nothing happens with it. Uh, there's a, there's a big part where I feel like stuff just kind of falls off and doesn't matter anymore. And I, I do wonder if they had, had intended this almost to be like a series. Cause the movies are about an hour and 45 minutes, two hours long. I almost wonder if they, they intended this to be a longer running series, like some of their other, other um, projects. And they just kind of, had to do a movie maybe it was the contracting but yeah the pacing is is a big problem and Livy kind of touched on it as well that because the pacing is weird a lot of the characters feel extremely one-dimensional like the main character is you know if i had to describe him in one word it's just vengeance like he's got this i'm always angry and i have this like undying hatred for godzilla and everything i do is driven by this and it makes sense why he's like that but that's all his character really ever is is just screaming at godzilla i'm gonna kill you and then doing things to try to try to get rid of him uh there's a female character who is completely forgettable um she's there and they kind of set her up for this love interest that they kind of force just, just in there, there. It, it makes no sense like and, and that's where I'm, I'm really frustrated with with the film because like i enjoyed the experience in an overall scheme but like God, the characters are just, there's nothing to them, which is really weird because in other Polygon Pictures works, they have like Ajin has some awesome characters in it. Like the the, the villain from Ajin is one of my favorite characters I've ever seen in the work of, of, of art. And the characters in Godzilla are just completely flat. Like they're just terrible. Um, there's, there's like one in particular who's, who's a little interesting, but mostly just because he's mysterious and you can tell he's not letting on to everything he knows cool but the main character and then you know best girl love interest who isn't really best girl it's just they're boring um so the characters are really really lame um to be honest but yeah so i mean it, it, the films have issues it's definitely not their best work but is it worth watching yeah probably like it, it's it's kind of a, a fun twist on a godzilla story it's kind of got some cool action scenes um a little more futuristic stuff that's that's kind of what they like to dive into but it, it has some issues like it's it's a it's above average but just just a little bit above average i'd say um it's definitely not on par with some of their other work which is a big disappointment for me because i've loved everything they've done so far but this was just eh, i couldn't get behind it as much as the other stuff what do you think Lee? what's kind of your overall opinion summary of of the flaws and the good parts and all that i hate to be so hard and without spoilers it's hard um Let's just say there's so many questions still that I have about even the plot and what happened in one and two before I even start with three. I think that's what's going to frustrate me the most. It's like, okay, well, that's over. Next, next, next plot line. It's like, I can't handle it, but I'll watch it so I can keep criticizing it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely worth finishing. It's not like one of those things where <clears throat> I just want it to be over. You know, it's kind of like, okay, let's see how they wrap this up um, because they've always marketed it as parts one through three. Um, so, I mean, we'll get a conclusion, hopefully, hopefully, um, you know, with the third film and they've kind of, they do a little after credits then to kind of hint at what's to come and it, it sounds cool, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's worth checking out if you've got a couple hours you want to burn. Um, like I said, don't be turned off by the art style just because you hear CGI anime. It, it's, of all the CGI anime I've seen, this is definitely top tier, um, and it, it executes it on way better than what you're probably used to seeing. So don't let that dissuade you. 
Um, but I will say, if you see Ajin or Knights of Sidonia or Blame on Netflix, those are absolutely worth your time to watch. I would highly, highly suggest them if you like anime. Um, this one, again, I'd still suggest it, but it, it's definitely not their, not the, the cream of the crop. So worth looking at all their stuff. But uh, yeah, that's kind of my recommendation. So moving into some more gaming-related news, um, because we you know, got a bash on Fallout 76 every once in a while. It's like the new No Man's Sky where I got to like say something shitty about it once a week. Um, so obviously it's getting horrible reviews. Like it's doing really terrible to a point where just to, to a reminder of the timeline, this game came out on November 14th. It is currently at the time of recording November 26th. So it's been 12 days since the game came out. It went on sale on Black Friday which was a few days ago, like a little bit over a week after launch, from $60 down to $40 for a Black Friday sale, which you typically don't discount games that are literally a week old on Black Friday, but let's let's just say, okay, fine. It has actually gone, since Black Friday, down again. You can actually get Fallout 76 on Amazon for $35. It's been 12 days, and it's dropped by almost half. Like, that's how desperate they are to sell this game, is that they cannot, they cannot sell it for even you know, a one-third off. It's down to almost half off just to get this game out the door. Damn, it's, crazy. it's already on the... What was that game? Evolve? It's already Ugh. hit the should-just-be-free-to-play, and it hasn't even been a month yet. <sighs> you know, you know, I, I really wonder if, if that's what they'll do with it, is they'll go free-to-play and just try to eke out whatever they can out of the microtransaction store um, along the way. It, right. Free, free to play, do your mods, buy this. And they might, I don't know. I mean, yeah. And the thing is some, some games have really turned around after going free to play. Um, but geez, this is an absolute pile of shit, you know, it, it's like I said, I, I did the beta. I was not impressed at all. The game needed to be worked on for six to 12 months longer to, to be in a workable state. But yeah, it's it, there, there's people out there who enjoy it. Um, I think a lot of people like some people enjoy things just because everyone else hates on it. But regardless, some people like it out there. But yeah, no, it's it's not doing well critically. Um, it's not doing well financially. Like Bethesda is going to take a big hit on this. I think if, if they invested any appreciable amount of money into developing this thing, it's going to really stay because this isn't just like, you know, No Man's Sky or people bought it and it was crap. You know, it's just like people got that beta and were like, nope. Like we we were the same way. Like Lily and I and my brother, we we played the beta and we're just like. I'm not feeling this. Like, it's just, it's not there. Um, and I think a lot of people felt the same and canceled their pre-orders. And uh, it's just, it's not doing well, obviously. And that's too bad, because I know they were really, uh, they're really hanging on this being a success and the new type of Fallout that I think, you know, I think they thought this was going to be a smash hit and it just burned instead. Yeah. I mean, and like I said last week, it's it's shitty for the people that actually worked on it because they probably worked really hard on it but it's just this shit was not ready to go it's it's terrible but it is what it is unfortunately so speaking of games that are actually good uh red dead redemption 2 is getting its red dead uh online mode coming out this week so it's going to start the online beta on tuesday Um, this is going to be a beta that leads into kind of the full release of the online mode it's not something you have to buy separately if you own the base game you get the online for free that's not yeah that's not how they do things so if you purchase the 
ultimate version of the game, you will get access to it on Tuesday, November 27th, so tomorrow, um, as of this recording. If you played the game today, on November 26th, you will get access on Wednesday, November 28th. And if you played the game October 26th through the 29th, you will get access on Thursday, November 29th. And if you don't fall into any of those categories, you'll get access on Friday, November 30th. So this is kind of in line with what they did for Red, uh, Grand Theft Auto V online. So it's going to be, you know, they've taken that formula and they've kind of evolved it over time. And this is going to be, you know, the new Red Dead Online. So uh, I'll, once we get Bait back on the show, I'll be really curious to see his thoughts. I imagine he falls into one of those categories and will have played the game before our next show. So we'll definitely get his thoughts on that next week. But if you do own the base game, you can give this online mode a shot uh, in this coming week. So another interesting story that we talked about probably two, three weeks ago. So what was going on is that Rainbow Six Siege was going to be getting a Chinese release. And if you're not aware, China has some pretty strict censorship laws. There are certain things that you are not allowed to have in video games or any form of media for that matter. And it could cause issues because in many cases, online games that are, or even offline games, like skill player games, that are released in the West, they cannot be released in the exact same form in China because they are not compliant with the censorship laws. And a lot of it has to do with you can't show depictions of gambling or sex or that sort of thing. And it's, it's much more strict than what we see in the West. I mean, like, I'll give an example of something that was in Rainbow Six Siege, that there were, uh, in one particular level, there were slot machines up against the wall. You weren't actually gambling on them, but because they were there, it's depicting a machine in which someone would gamble. And that is not okay in the Chinese law. So what was going to happen is that they were going to basically remove elements or alter elements of Rainbow Six Siege to make it compliant with the Chinese law so they could release the game in China. The controversy that popped up because of this, however, is that Ubisoft came out and said, hey, we don't want to support multiple versions of the game. So how this is going to happen is that we're going to basically make these changes retroactively to all existing games, regardless if you live in China or not. So what was happening is that people who, you know, let's say lived in Canada, purchased the game, they're playing it. Well, now their experience is being altered because of laws in a different country. And it was this, you know, entire game-wide change of, of the aesthetics. Keep in mind, it wasn't gameplay changes. It was purely like the visuals that you would see in the game and that sort of thing. And so the big controversy is like, hey, don't mess with our game. Why are you censoring our game for a different country's law? And Ubisoft was just going, eh, you know, screw you guys, you know, we, we don't want to take on the expense of supporting multiple versions of the game, which I can understand is that that is very costly for a company to have multiple versions running. It's kind of like when, um, you know, uh, later expansions of Destiny 1 came out. Destiny 1 was supported on PS3 and PS4. Well, eventually they're like, listen, we can't keep this up. We can't keep supporting both you know, versions of the game. So we're going to kind of discontinue support for the PS3 version and kind of move forward with the PS4. It, it, makes, um, it makes sense from a business perspective. However, I do also understand kind of the player sentiment of like, hey, why are you messing with my game that I purchased, you know, for whatever reason, and now you're changing it because of a law in a different country. Um, and so that's kind of where the frustration was. Well, this this kind of got, kind of got spicy. And Ubisoft uh, earlier this week backed down and said, okay, fine. We, we understand that you do not like this 
and we will be rolling back the changes that we were making to the visuals of the game if you are outside of China. And presumably, they're just going to have two versions of the game, where they have the censored Chinese version and then the version that everyone else plays. Um, so people are kind of happy about this, but I kind of want to get Libby's thoughts on on this whole debacle. Yeah, like I said the first time, it, it's... And it's not, <laughs> I feel like it's lazy to make a product and then have to change it and then change it for everyone because you don't want to go through the uh, difficult challenge of making different games or servers, however they're going to do it. Um, my other thought is that if you do plan on selling to a world market, maybe build it as all the countries will take it in the first place instead of changing it. Because we all know when we start tossing up change the people, they don't want it. Um, so that's just my thoughts and opinion on on that. Yeah, and I think that's fair. I mean, it's, you know, as game industries are kind of trying to expand into China, if you're going to make a game from the ground up, you should probably make a single version that's going to be compliant with as big of a world market as you possibly can. And China is a very large market. Um, so... Yeah, but to go in retroactively, it's kind of like a cardinal sin of game design of if you give the player something, you never want to take it away from them. And, you know, if you're changing like the general aesthetic or, or aesthetic elements of a game or even gameplay elements for that reason, for that matter, um, after the fact, you're going to be met with some really big hostility. Um, and, and, you know, people might have been overreacting in terms of how they dealt with it, but I definitely understood the frustration of like, hey, what the heck, you know? Um, and I'll, I'll quote the quote I saw where this, this guy says, I live in Canada, I don't live in China, why is my game experience being dictated by a dictator on the other side of the planet? Um, which is valid, you know, it, it, it's definitely frustrating, and I'm, I'm glad that Ubisoft was like, you know what, we need to just, we know better in the future to make sure we, we have all our ducks in a row before we produce the game, but for this one, we'll just deal with it and, and kind of give people what they want and, and just support multiple versions of the game, so... Um, good on Ubisoft for for reading reading the room and then understanding that this is probably the best way to go, and uh, you know hopefully this will teach them a lesson in the future to just kind of make sure you you know what you're doing if you're going to expand into the Chinese markets uh, for future game projects. Okay, so let's go and do some Destiny Two stuff. So Livy and I uh, had like four days off uh, because of Thanksgiving weekend, so we played a lot of Destiny Two, and and we actually realized. It's amazing how much shit you can get done in games like this if you aren't like confined to just getting it done like in you know after work and that sort of thing. So it was a good weekend. We got a lot of stuff done, and there's a lot of news coming up, which is pretty exciting for Destiny 2. So if you uh, didn't catch us last week, we talked about how Season 4 is coming to an end on the 27th. That's tomorrow. And um, Season 5 will be starting on December 4th the following week. So we're kind of having like, a week of... A limbo where there's not really a particular season going on, but Bungie was releasing some good information this last week regarding some stuff that is going to be coming in season five, the season of the Forge. So, kind of a big thing that's been going on is these pinnacle weapon rewards, and the idea is that you have these season-long quests that you do in a particular activity, and if you complete the quest, you are rewarded with a very well-rolled, unique weapon that is typically useful for the activity in which that quest was was taking place in. So 
In season three, it was the Redrix Claymore. If you, you know, uh, ground through, you know, competitive playlist and got all the way to the end, you got this very special pulse rifle. They kind of reworked that as the Redrix Broadsword in season four. That's one that I actually got and I ground, I, I, I grinded it out, and we'll talk about that in a bit. And then the big one for season four was, of course, the Luna's Howl and the Not Forgotten Hand Cannons, and that was a very, very sweaty grind um, to get both of those. So. I unfortunately did not complete those, but we'll talk about that in a bit. But the idea is that people like these kind of long-term quests that they can do and kind of have something that they're ultimately working towards and have this like big, awesome reward at the end. So Bungie saw people like this. They saw that they had some pretty good feedback on how these quests are designed, and they've kind of adjusted and added some new weapons for Season 5. So I kind of want to talk about what those weapons look like, how you're going to get them, and that sort of thing. So the first big one is kind of through the vanguard, and this is a fusion rifle called the Loaded Question. It's a high-impact fusion rifle of the arc element. So this is primarily gotten through doing things in strikes for the vanguards. It's kind of the Zavala's missions that you do through the tower, and the idea is that it's going to, you know, this this particular fusion rifle is going to be particularly useful in kind of standard PvE activity. So what kind of makes it unique is that it has a perk where if the magazine is full or the battery is fully charged, the first shot of the magazine does bonus damage. So it's kind of like you you got a full magazine, you fire one off, and it does bonus damage, and if you kill something, it explodes and does a bunch of damage in the area. So pretty cool. It would be good for a lot of activities, I can imagine. Um, and uh, I don't do a lot of strikes, honestly. Um, I do a lot of the other activities, but this one looks kind of interesting. So how you get this is you pick up the quest from Zavala, and I, again, like I said, I think this starts um, on the 4th. It's not going to be starting um, this week, but next week, rather. But you pick up the quest from Zavala, and this one's a little bit easier than some of the Crucible ones, so it's basically get 500 fusion rifle kills in any strike or nightfall, you can do that pretty easily with like the Telesto is probably a good one that I think rips everything apart in PVE or PVP. So Telesto is probably a good option. Um, get 1000 arc kills. Now that doesn't have to be arc fusion rifle kills. It can just be arc kills in general. So I would suggest using an arc subclass like arc strider with like ride and flux or um, Stormcaller or um, striker Titan or something like that, just to kind of use your abilities to kind of grind through all of those kills and then complete 40 strike or nightfall completion. So it's actually not that bad, to be honest. It's pretty much just like grind out a bunch of strikes, always have a fusion rifle running, and use an arc subclass. They haven't been entirely clear on this, but it sounds like that you can actually complete these steps um, in tandem. So you don't have to get 500 fusion rifle kills and then start with 1,000 arc kills. It should be, hopefully, counting all of these steps simultaneously. So you know, as long as you complete 40 strikes throughout the season, you'll get that step done. As long as you get a thousand arc kills, you get that done. You can kind of do them together. So if you're using like an arc fusion rifle and doing strikes, that's probably going to be the fastest way to get this stuff done. So that one's not too bad. The next is the breakneck, which is a precision auto rifle, and you get this through Gambit. It looks really awesome. Like it's a really cool looking gun. Um, so its unique perk is onslaughts. The weapons rate of fire increases as you stack rampage. So rampage is when you get a kill, you get bonus damage on the weapon, and this stacks up to three times. So what's going to happen is that as those stacks of Rampage are building, as you're getting chain kills, your gun's going to fire faster and faster up to the three stacks. And this is actually really going to be useful for Gambit because Gambit is kind of unique in that you tend to have a ton of enemies that you have to kill very quickly, and they're usually 
grouped really closely together. In strikes, they're a little more spread out, so this wouldn't work as well there. But for Gambit, like this is a godsend. Like it's it's going to almost be kind of like a, a pocket um, Thunderlord or Sweet Business because it's just got that ramping up of you know increased fire rate. And if you compare this with like you know a reload perk or like the gambler or like the uh, marksman dodge on hunter you could probably do a lot of work with this so it's it looks really cool um the perk sounds really awesome this is definitely one i'm gonna want to pick up i do do a fair amount of gambit um so the quest steps for this are a little are also again kind of easy they aren't too bad it's get uh pick up the quest from the drifter get 500 auto rifle kills in gambit Get 100 auto rifle multi kills. That's again not hard to do. Uh, defeat 150 challenging enemies. That's just going to kind of happen on its own and complete 40 matches of Gambit. So again, just go into Gambit, just play Gambit throughout the season and always be using an auto rifle as much as you can. You're probably going to get this just by being fairly dedicated to the Gambit playlist. So again, not too hard to get, not super grindy. It's just like play a lot of Gambit and you'll probably be okay. So that one looks really good. Now, the the really grindy one is the Crucible. And they intentionally said the Crucible one is really grindy. The other ones are not meant to be as bad, but this is supposed to be really grindy. And this one's going to be an absolute nightmare to get. Um, I'm still on the fence if I actually want to try or not. So it is called the Mountaintop, and it is a lightweight few, uh, grenade launcher. And those are the single-shot grenade launchers, the ones you have to reload after every every shot. Um, but the advantage is that they're easier to use because you don't have to have heavy ammo to use them. So it's called, like I said, the mountain. Um, and it's, uh, so, okay. The, the quest steps are, are insane. So the first step is, uh, obviously pick up the, the, the quest from Shaxx. And then step one is reach the glory rank brave within the season. So I don't think these are all completed together. You have to do them sequentially. So what you'll want to do is jump into the um, competitive playlist and get to Brave. It's not that hard. You win like four or five matches and you'll be Brave. That That's not the difficult part. So get to Brave first in competitive. Now, the way that they've set up the next steps are actually really, really good. So my biggest complaint about the Crucible, um, particularly the, the Luna's Howl quest, was that you had to do everything in competitive. And a lot of these steps were really grindy, really bitchy. And it was a real pain in the ass to do them in competitive. So what they've said is, okay, we, we heard that people don't like that. And what we want to do is basically allow you to do a lot of these steps in casual Crucible. Or you can do it in competitive and you'll progress faster if you do it in competitive. So if you want to grind out slowly in casual, you can do that. Or if you want to try to do it in competitive, you can do that as well. So that's awesome. Like that's really, really cool. So... The first step for this is, in Crucible, earn Grenade Launcher Final Blows. That by itself is a pain in the ass, because it's usually... Usually you lead with a single-shot Grenade Launcher and then finish them off with your other weapon, but to actually finish them off with the Grenade Kill is going to be a task. So, first step is, earn 750 points um, from Final Blows. So a kill, a Final Blow with a Grenade Launcher in non-competitive playlists is 3 points, and in the competitive playlist it's 10 points. So... And competitive, that's 75 kills, um, which isn't that bad, except that it's competitive and getting kills can be difficult sometimes. Or it's going to be, I guess that would be 250 kills in non-competitive. And you can mix and match these. So if you want to go into competitive and get a few, or if you want to go non-competitive and get a few, you don't have to do them all in the same place. But at least it's not forcing you to do it in competitive, which is fantastic because that would be a pain in the ass. The next step is 
rapidly defeat groups of two or more opponents. These are multi-kills with a grenade launcher. Oh, actually, it doesn't say with a grenade launcher, so it might be just with any weapon you want. Um, so in non-competitive, a double play is two points. For every um, subsequent kill after that is an additional one point. So a double play would be two points, and a triple would be a plus one for three, and a quad would be plus one for four. If you do it in competitive, a double play is five points, and any subsequent kills after that is an additional two points. So two kills would be five, three would be seven, and four would be um, nine. That's not too bad. Um, it's pretty easy to get double plays in, in casual, um, and that's only like a hundred of those. So you can do that fairly quickly, and if you're doing it in competitive, even faster. So that's, that's actually not too bad. Now, the real doozy is the next step. Earn calculated trajectory medals. So <laughs> basically what that is, is get three kills with a grenade launcher without dying. And this is final blows, not like you soften them with the grenade launcher and finish them off. you got to actually finish them with the grenade launcher. And you have to get three kills without dying. You can do this with heavy ammo um, fairly easily if you have a couple direct hits, but with like a lightweight one, like the uh, fighting lion or something, it's going to be tricky. I think you're going to see a lot of fighting lions in Crucible. Um, that might be to your advantage or your disadvantage, depending on what you're trying to do, but it's going to be very grindy because you need 100 points total. And if it's a non-competitive playlist, it's only one point per, per medal. So you have to get that medal 100 times if you want to do it in non-competitive. That's going to be really tough. Um, it's, doable it's just grindy as hell like i can probably count on one hand how many times i've actually gotten that medal if i tried grenade launchers more often i probably could get it more often but it's not something that happens very commonly you have to deliberately do it most of the time if you do that in the competitive playlist however it's four points per per medal so you want to do it 25 times that might be a little more doable, depending on what kind of game modes you're getting. If you're getting, like, Control or Clash, that's probably more doable. If you're doing it with, you know, like, Countdown, for God's sakes, or uh, something else, it could be a lot worse. But that is an option. So, again, that's going to be probably the grindiest step. And finally, the final part of this whole thing is Reach Fabled, which in the competitive playlist. So... Uh, that's kind of the fourth rank, I believe. So it's the same as the Luna's Howl. You have to get to that, that fabled rank to kind of finish the quest off. So if you haven't gotten Luna's Howl yet, um, you can kind of do that last step for both the Mountain and Luna's Howl at the same time. I believe that's the only step that you can complete ahead of time um, in f before you do the other stuff. So if you get that and you haven't done Luna's Howl, you can do Luna's Howl and the Mountain and get both of those done at the same time by reaching Fable in the competitive playlist. So that's going to be a bitch. Um, what makes the weapon interesting, though, is that it it, it fires micro-missiles instead of um, grenades. What that means is that there's no bullet drop and they fire much, much, much faster than your typical grenade launcher. So it's basically like a non-heavy pocket rocket launcher, which could be a real pain in the ass to people who have a good aim. So, um, like I said, it's tempting. It's just the idea of getting grenade launcher kills is going to be an absolute nightmare, and I am not looking forward to it. I have to go practice my fighting lion and get better at actually getting kills with that. Um, I've also heard that the Militia's Birthright, which is um, which drops from this week's Nightfall Lake of Shadows, is also a really good one. There's a particular role you can get where it's it's fairly easy to, to kill people with it. Um, people have been suggesting that one is a really good weapon to get to 
in prep to farm for this, but uh, I don't personally have it, so I might just have to try to figure out the fighting line and make that happen, but uh, it should be, should be interesting to say the least. Yeah, I won't be doing that one. <laughs> don't let the grenade These weapon grinds drive me absolutely nuts, and I'm not doing one for a weapon I don't use. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to give like a, like a pre-preliminary shout-out to Livy for, for grinding out um, all of this shit with me uh, this last season, because I was like, I'm gonna get that rod that redrix broadsword if it kills me i'm gonna get it so um she she stood by me and, and helped me get um a lot of stuff done so i have to thank her for that oh shucks you're so sweet <laughs> but i do want to talk about some of these these quests um the the ones from from season four so i i did get the redrix broadsword um it, it's not the, the grind to get it actually isn't that bad it's pretty much just use pulse rifles there's some other steps to get it obviously i won't go through all those details um probably the most grindy bit was to get the five valor resets in one season like you you have to play a shitload of Chris, crucible to make that happen like a lot um if you utilize the, the double triple week triple xp weeks um that helps a lot like i got like two resets in this last one so if you don't want to play crucible all the time but you grind out like the two or three you know double weeks that we get um, you could probably get it, but uh, yeah, that, that's that's probably the hardest part of it. It's just grindy, not difficult. Um, but the weapon itself, um, so I begrudgingly will admit it's a little underwhelming. Um, and particularly in the Crucible, and I think the main issue with that is that there are other pulse rifles that fight within kind of the range bracket of the Redricks that are just simply better so if you take this thing up against someone who has like a bygones you're gonna get smoked like 95 percent of the time and that's just because the archetype of bygones is just better than the archetype of the, the broadsword right now it might change in the future but it, it's it's very difficult to win fights in that range unless you're fighting against someone who does not have the right weapon but if you're fighting like you know pulse rifles long-range hand cannons, even some some scout rifles. And scout rifles aren't even that great, but I've been put down trying to use this gun against them. I had a really hard time getting kills. That being said, when you get the precision kill and you get the outlawed proc and then you do the reload and you get the desperado perk, that buffs the fire rate to all hell. Like, you can obliterate people with desperado running. Like, even if they have to even aim for the head, just straight center mass shots and you will melt them faster than anything else I've seen. Like it is very, very, very strong when Desperado procs. The hard part is actually getting it to proc in the first place. So it's fairly underwhelming in Crucible. Not a huge fan of it. Um, I'm better off using my bygones, honestly. So that was disappointing. However, in PVE, it's got a little more, a little more utility to it. So it's a lot easier to get precision kills. Obviously, there's slower enemies. They're easier to line up the headshots. Um, so you can proc the Desperado quite often. It's very strong once Desperado is running. Um, and, and kind of the, 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 the big perk is that if you get another precision kill while Desperado is running, it kind of re-ups the Outlaw perk. Um, and that allows you to then quickly reload and keep Desperado running pretty much nonstop as long as you keep landing at least one precision kill within the duration of, of Desperado. So for like ad clearing, like, you know, thralls or, you know, uh, you know, like the, 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 the thrall taken or the, you know, just, just anything that's like 
mobbing you in large numbers and they're they're pretty easy to predict how they're going to move you can just mow them down with this thing like it's very 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 strong um is it as useful as other options it depends on the situation like for single target dps it's not that great unless you have desperado proccing so it kind of turns into this dance of like kill an ad proc desperado dump as much as you can to the boss then kill another ad proc desperado dump as much as you can to the boss it's kind of got a rhythm to it. It's a little bit harder to manage than, than just, you know, an auto rifle or a pulse rifle on full auto or something like that. But it is workable. Um, I'm kind of on the fence for it, you know, because it, it, it's got its place, but in other situations, it definitely falls falls um, flat. So it's kind of a, do you want a gun that's always useful or one that is sometimes extremely useful and sometimes okay? Uh, it kind of depends on the situation. So it, it's tough to say, but it definitely has some more utility in um pve so overall it is an okay gun um, i wouldn't use it in crucible like i, I just use a bygone so you want a pulse rifle which is much better um pve it's got some stipulations like i said i haven't tried it in gambit yet um that could be really good just because there's so many enemies in gambit um i'll have to give it a shot and let you guys know but it's it's it's, a, it's an okay gun it's okay was it worth the grind Eh, maybe not um just because it's, it's so unreliable in terms of when it's when it's actually useful but uh, if they ever change the meta where that archetype of pulse rifle becomes kind of like the top tier, it's going to be an absolute monster. So at least I'll have it then, um, and that'd be good to play with. The other one I wanted to talk about was the Luna's Howl Quest. So this is the pinnacle competitive playlist um, weapon for you know for getting getting to you know fabled rank. I did not get this. Um, I kind of told myself, I don't want to do competitive, competitive is a pain in the ass. I just, I like to do my casual crucible. And then people started coming into casual crucible with their Luna's Howl and they're not forgotten and absolutely obliterating me. And I was like, well, motherfucker, fine, I'll go get this gun. So yeah, um, it's a pain in the ass to do this in competitive, um, especially if you are solo or in like a group of two, you really want a group of four just because the blues do some really stupid shit when you're in competitive. You're like, what, why are you over there? It's, it's terrible. Team planning is much more important competitive. And that, that really shows when you're just trying to eke out wins. It got to the point where I just said, fuck it. I don't even care about my Valor rank. I'm just going to get all of the quest steps done up until the final step where I have to get to, to Fable Valor and just get that done. And um, the reason this is so frustrating is because, okay, all of the steps leading up to it require you to use a hand cannon. I like hand cannons. I like the trust. It's my favorite favorite hand cannon in the game. The issue is, is that the Luna's Howl and the Not Forgotten are also a 180 hand cannon archetype. They have kind of a similar range bracket to the trust, and they are straight direct upgrades. Like, the trust is a four-hit kill. The Luna's Howl, if you get two headshots, the third shot will kill someone regardless of where you hit them. So you're fighting against people who have basically a direct upgrade of a gun you're probably already using. This is problematic because um, a lot of people who get the Lunas, they try to go for the, um, the Not Forgotten. And how you do that is you have to get like X number of 100 kills with the Luna's Howl and then reach Fable. So what happens is you have people who get the Luna's in competitive and then they continue to use the Luna's in competitive to grind out to the top top rank to get the, the Not Forgotten. And this is really tough because, you know, kind of like the Broadsword, 
you're fighting people in a particular range bracket with a hand can, and they have a hand can that is absolutely objectively better than the one you have. So you you lose a lot of gunfights where you probably should have won, but their gun is simply better, and it just makes it a real pain in the ass to get these kills, to get these hand cannon headshots. It is very, very difficult. And unless you are really skilled with a hand cannon, you're going to have a really hard time um, hammering these out. I got lucky because I was able to do... Um, I had I had the day off of work after Thanksgiving, and so I had one step to complete. I did 100, 100 precision kills with a hand cannon in the Crucible playlist. And for whatever reason, if you play during the week, like during work hours, um, there's less Luna Howls, less Luna Howls in the playlist. I'm not sure if it's a different age demographic or what, but I was able to basically from like noon until 6 p.m. We did nothing but competitive, and I just ground out. 100 headshot kills in competitive um and took me the whole time to do it but i was able to do it my brother on the other hand did it during less ideal times and it took him weeks to get through it so it's very very grindy um it's it it feels i want to say unfair because you're you're fighting against people who have the gun you're trying to get to and the reason that they you want the gun is because it's better than the one you currently have so that's very frustrating um and it's 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 annoying because you have to do hand canning stuff, right? And so it's forcing you to do a specific play style, and it's very very grindy. It's it's hundreds of kills for each step in in different ways. And what I found myself doing is I'm I'm, I'm going okay, God, I need to get these hand cannon kills. And so I started going into situations where I probably should not have been using a hand cannon. I probably should have switched to like a shotgun or like a pulse rifle, but I'm, I'm trying to make this gun work because if I wasn't using a hand cannon, it felt like I was wasting my time. I, I was, you know, setting myself back. I was not getting stuff done. Um, very frustrating. So I'm, I'm, I'm playing poorly because I'm trying to use a hand cannon, even when I probably shouldn't be. And additionally, the game modes in competitive vary a lot in terms of kind of how they play out. So you've got, you know, some like the four major ones I think are, are countdown, survival, uh, control, and clash. Control and clash are exactly the same as they are in casual. You run around, you try to get kills, you capture points. It's easy to get a lot of kills in control and clash. You can get 20, 30 kills fairly easily if you're if you're an above average player. That really helps to kind of propel your progress forward. And then you go to like countdown or um, survival and it's the kill counts are kind of capped because you end rounds by usually killing the entire enemy team. And there's like only a limited number of times you can actually kill people and you're splitting kills between your team. So what I found myself doing is I would be pissed off when I saw survival or countdown because I'm like, oh, I got to spend the next... 15 minutes doing this, I'm going to get like two kills and it's going to suck, you know, I mean, more than two kills, but I, I wouldn't get a ton of them. And then when I got, you know, Clash or Control, it was like, hell yeah, because I, I can get 20, I can really, you know, progress this quest really quickly. And I found myself going, if I'm playing Clash or Control, I would actually kind of want the round to run as long as possible because it meant more time to spend in that game mode to get the kills, to get through the stupid grind. And it's like, oh, well, we're winning, but the enemy's capturing the objective. Mm, 
I could let him capture it and let the, the match run a little bit longer. And I found myself doing things to actively make my team not do as well because I wanted to drag it out as long as possible to get through this grind. And that's shitty. You know, that's shitty for the people I'm playing with because I'm I'm not trying to win as hard as I could. Similarly, when I get control or, or sorry, when I get like countdown or uh, survival, I'm like, oh, God, just make it end. Because those game modes go on a really long time. Like Countdown in particular, if you're trading wins back and forth, it goes on forever, and it is awful. It is better to either lose quickly or win quickly. Matches that are dragging on where you're, you're, you're bouncing back and forth are excruciating in this quest because you're just trying to get this shit done. You're not getting a lot of kills. It's taking forever and you just want it to end. And I found myself getting kind of apathetic and we'd lose a couple. I'm like, you know what? It's better if we just intentionally lose the next three matches just to get this thing over with so we can go and hopefully get a control or a clash next, you know? And again, that's shitty. I'm, I'm not trying to win as hard as I could because I just want to get it over with. I just want to get away from the game mode and get into something new. And that's terrible for my teammates. You know, it's it's awful. So, again, it's shitty when you're a solo player or even just two players because you're, you're probably not doing the best you could to help your teammates um, because you're, you're focused on the stupid quest. I really dislike how it forced me to do an activity I don't like just because I wanted this one particular gun. You know... The Valor, or sorry, the Glory Grind to get to Fabled, fine, whatever. I get that you want to gate it and have like a certain required skill. But the, the, the weapon-specific kills, it doesn't have to be in competitive. It doesn't need to be in competitive. I can do 200 headshot kills in casual. I'm fine with that. I don't want to grind it out and doing freaking countdown for the eighth time in a row. It's horrible. So the fact that the mountaintop, the, the, the grenade launcher I mentioned before, can be done in casual, it just takes longer, awesome idea. I'm so okay with that. It's going to be a bitchy grind, but at least I don't have to do competitive while I'm doing it. And then when I do play competitive, I can focus 100% on winning, getting defabled. I'm not doing any crazy bullshit shenanigans, using weapons I don't want to use. I can just focus on, you know, getting um, the win, which is good for everybody. So... I'm glad they changed it, but goddamn, the Luna's Howl grind is shitty. So at least all of that's done. My Valor reset, or my, my Glory resets tomorrow. I don't care. I'm only at, like, rank two, whatever. I can focus in Season 5 on getting my, my Valor to level, you know, level 5 or whatever, level 4, Fabled, and that's it. I can be done with it. So I'm very glad to see that. I think it's a good change. I'm glad that Bungie picked up on that frustration people were feeling, it doesn't help the fact that the Lunas is still, like, the best hand cannon in the game, non-exotic hand cannon in the game, and they haven't changed that quest. It's still the same quest. So you still have to go through it if you want to, you know, get one of these guns, but at least moving forward, they've kind of learned their lesson. That That's a shitty way to do it. So that's good to see. I'm glad they're changing it, but uh, I will eventually get the Lunas Howl. I swear to God, I probably will not get the Not Forgotten. That's getting your... Glory to Legend. I'm not that good of a Crucible player, so I'll stick with Luna's Howl and I'll be satisfied with that. So that'll be good to get this season um, and at least all the other hand cannon bullshit's out of the way and I can just focus on actually winning rather than getting weird headshot kills. So should be good. And with that, I think we've kind of exhausted all of our topics. Is there anything else you wanted to cover, Living? Nope, I think I'm good. Okay, so we'll do shout outs. Um, my shout out goes to Winnie the Pooh. So, uh, 
the leader of China, Xi Jinping, um, apparently it's like a meme and a joke that people say he looks like Winnie the Pooh. And this bothers him so much that it is actually, a, you have to censor Winnie the Pooh from appearing in China. To kind of put it in perspective, you know, that, that, that movie Christopher Robin that Disney just produced, it obviously has Winnie the Pooh in it. They were not allowed to release that movie in China solely because of Winnie the Pooh. And Xi Jinping is not okay with that. So this is hilarious because Kingdom Hearts 3, which is, you know, Final Fantasy and Disney married together, has always traditionally had a Winnie the Pooh level in it. And there was promotional material released um, for China showing a screenshot of the Winnie the Pooh level. And they did like the white sensor they do for like porn <laughs> over specifically just Winnie the Pooh. Um, so there is the potential that Winnie the Pooh will be censored from uh, the, the Chinese release of Kingdom Hearts 3. Now, to be fair, there's been other other promotional material that has been released that isn't censored, so it's been inconsistent. So we aren't sure you know, if it will be or not, but I think it's hilarious that we had to you know put a porn censor on Winnie the Pooh because the leader of China finds it offensive. So shout out to Winnie the Pooh. Libby, you're up. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I really want to see that. Um, my shout out is uh, for all those people that don't like touching their eyeballs. A uh, doctor found a contact lens stuck in a woman's eyelid that was there for 28 years after she lost it. So you imagine you keep having this itch in your eyes. And you go to the doctor at about 67 and you just find your lost contact lens. It, it shout had, out goes to her eyeball, who is free now. <laughs> it had to have infused her eye by then. Oh, yeah. I can put a link for the picture in the, the video. Mm, it's, it's, mm, no? You sure? Mm, I, I'm not going to look it, but I'll look it. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> okay. So shout out to really disturbing eye-fused contacts. All right. That's our show, guys. Um, like I said, kind of uh, the Pokey Libby show this week. Uh, we, we unfortunately had to to move the, the time, and it kind of screwed everyone else over. So uh, apologies for that. But uh, hope you enjoyed it. Um, as always, if you want to be on the show, if you have any topics you want us to cover, games for us to play, let us know. Go to biomass.com. Our contact information is there. With that being said, have a safe week, and we'll see you next time. Bye.